Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week continues our new teaching series, Outlaw. Join Valley Point Church as we look to biblical imagery that presents Jesus as a radical who challenged the religious machinery of his day. Through his life, ours can be changed. This is Outlaw. Uh, The good, the bad, and the ugly, it might be one of the most popular boot-wearing, spur-spinning, horse-riding, gun-flinging, outlaw-chasing Western movie of all time. It's got a bit of everything in it. And for a movie produced in 1966, which was a few years ago now, it comes shockingly close to describing our own non-poncho-wearing culture. Because it's all about the good chasing down and overcoming the bad and the ugly. And while things have changed in that time frame, things really haven't changed. There's just less dust, and Clint Eastwood is 47 years older, right? So the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is going to drive our conversation today. And to help us kind of wrap our minds, I want to define what the good is and the bad, and the ugly is. So let's walk through this so that we know what we're talking about today. The good is God and His holiness. The good is having a forever friendship with God. The good is taking care of eternity. The good is God, and God is very good. The bad is our depravity. It's our sin. It's all the stuff we do that doesn't quite measure up to God's standard of perfection for us. But the good news is that God took care of our bad by sending Jesus to die on the cross, and their sin was defeated. For the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about Jesus, the outlaw, the nonconformist, and how he came and he lived and he died, and then He rose again, delivering that death blow to Satan, which means that life is available for all. And we can exchange all of our bad for all of his good. I want you to think about that statement for a moment. Because of what Jesus, the outlaw, has done for us, we get this opportunity because of nothing that we've done. Through no effort of our own, we have this amazing opportunity in front of us to exchange all of our bad for all of his good when we trust in Jesus alone to save us. And several individuals throughout this series have done that. And you've indicated on your connection card, hey, I've trusted in Jesus alone and I've exchanged my junk for all of his goodness, and that is absolutely fantastic. And I'd like to take just a moment here and thank God for what he's done for us by giving us the gift of Jesus the outlaw. Will you help me do that? Yeah, because it's an amazing thing. It's pretty spectacular. So the good is God and his holiness. The bad is our own depravity for which Jesus provided a solution for. What is the ugly then? Well, here's how we're going to define ugly for the sake of our conversation, and that is, it's when we refuse to exchange our agenda for his. 
And when we refuse to do that, life can get a bit ugly for us. It can get ugly when we refuse to reorder our lives around Jesus, the nonconformist. It gets ugly when we ask Jesus to join what we're doing instead of asking him to lead. It's kind of ugly when we say, Jesus, you stay behind me. Like, I want you there because I feel good about having you in my life there, but I'm going to lead, I'm going to call the shots, and I want you just to stay behind me and stay out of the way. That is ugly, and it's not what Jesus wants for us, and it's not what he's asked for. He's actually asked us to lay every single thing that we have, our time and our talent and our money and our hopes and our dreams and our families, and to place them at his feet and reorder our lives around him and make sure that we're following him and not the other way around. But here's what happens so often. We say, Jesus, I trust in you, and I believe in you, and I'm so thankful for the gift of Jesus, the outlaw, but we want him to be the safe, cute, warm little icon that sits on a shelf and doesn't really bother us. He just kind of makes us feel good that he's there, and I can look at him, and I can see him, and I know that he's there, and that makes me feel better that he's this icon on the shelf. But the thing about Jesus, the outlaw, and when you walk through the Gospels as it describes his life, and what he said, and what he did, and how he acted, is that he was actually iconoclastic. He wasn't content with just being the safe little thing on a shelf. He actually wants to lead and direct our lives. And so here's our big idea for today. And that is the ugly is something that can be fixed. Okay, and that's good news for us. Because if you're anything like me, often we kind of push Jesus to the side or we even push him behind us. And life gets ugly for us when that happens. The great news is that the ugly is something that can be fixed. And there's probably no greater illustration or picture of this than in God's message to an ancient king. Okay, it's story time. In the Old Testament, there is a wonderful story about a politician who decided to walk away from God and do life on his own, and things got kind of ugly for him. He was actually a king. And his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And it wasn't just any king. He was the king of Babylon, which at that particular time made him the most important person in all of the world. Nobody had more authority. Nobody had more power. Nobody was greater than Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of Babylon. And according to history, he was also a very competent king. It wasn't that he was just the next in line to the throne, and so, of course, he has to have the job, and he's going to get it, and maybe he's not qualified for it at all. That's not the case with Nebuchadnezzar. He was actually a very competent and a very good king, and there is some indication in Scripture that Nebuchadnezzar was a person who believed in God, and there was a time in his life where he rearranged his agenda and made sure that God was leading the way. And that all came as a result of a very dramatic experience that he had with God. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he's an important individual. 
And here's what we find about King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Here's what he says. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. Now, I want to pause there because that's a really important statement. See, here Nebuchadnezzar is personalizing what God had done for him. And although it doesn't come right out and say here that he trusted in God, I believe his actions indicate that he personalized what God had done for him in this pretty dramatic way. And now he's saying, this is what God is doing for me. This is how God is working for me. This is what is happening in my life with God. Verse 3, he goes on. How great are his signs. How powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever and his rule through all generations. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's the most important guy in the world and here he's telling everybody, here's what I want you to know about what God has done for me. He is amazing and he is all powerful and you should reorganize your lives around him. Well, what happens in the verses that follow in Daniel chapter 4 is that this most important man in the world has a dream that kind of tips him over, frightens him a bit because there's some bad things that happen in the dream, and he's a little bothered by that and a little worried about what that means. And so he calls for a guy named Daniel who worked for him and said, Daniel is another individual who just loves God, and I need him to come in here and tell me the meaning of this dream. And I want to discover what God is saying to me about this dream. And Daniel was an individual who was passionate about God. He was a follower, and he's got a whole book in the Bible with his name in it that describes how God worked through him. So let's think about Nebuchadnezzar for a few moments. Because at the top of chapter 4, here he is telling everybody they need to respond to the greatness of God and organize your life around him. But something begins to happen in Nebuchadnezzar where he thinks a little differently about that. So let's think about Nebuchadnezzar for just a few moments. And one of the things we discover about him is that Nebuchadnezzar, or we're going to call him Neb, all right, He was consumed with self. And that actually led to some distractions for him. Archaeologists have found information indicating that Nebuchadnezzar himself wrote down information boasting about the glory and the magnificence of Babylon. I mean, it was just a a fantastic city. And Nebuchadnezzar built himself a palace that would sit way up on top of a hill. And from there, he could see his entire kingdom. And there was a double wall that lined his magnificent city so that the bad people could not get in and hurt them. And there were the hanging gardens of Babylon that were watered by an elaborate watering system that sustained it. And Paving its way and finding its way to the castle was a limestone paved highway decorated with lions and tigers and bears. 
All right, let's try that one more time. This is your involvement for today, all right? So lining its way to the castle is this limestone-paved highway that was decorated with lions and tigers and bears. Yeah, why do we do that? It's kind of a strange thing, but Nebuchadnezzar did all of this, and he got complacent because he was absolutely consumed with self. By the way, the same kinds of things happen to us, don't they? Life gets good and somewhat easy, and we become consumed with self. And life is pretty good for most of us. As a matter of fact, I read the other day that if you are born in America, you are automatically in the upper 20% of the world's wealthiest people. So we're wealthy. We've got a lot. And when life is easy and comfortable, it can become very easy to become consumed with self. And all of a sudden, we're not really organizing and rearranging our life around God and His agenda. It kind of becomes about me. It does. Well, here's the other thing that Nebuchadnezzar did. He made the choice somewhere along the line to walk without Christ, to walk without God, and that led to some great challenges for him. Now, you kind of look at this. He's consumed with self, which became a distraction, and he made the choice to walk without God in his life, and he did all of that, and it's very easy to say, what a loser, right? Like, why can't he just figure it out? Why doesn't he get it? I mean, at the top of chapter 4, he is saying everybody needs to worship God, and everybody needs to order their life around him, and now, all of a sudden, we find him tipped over by a dream, He is consumed with self, which is a distraction, and he chooses to walk without God in his life, which becomes a big problem. What a loser. Why does he do that? Well, before we're so quick to point and laugh and scoff, let's think about where we're at with this kind of information and ask ourselves a few questions, like this one. How much time this past week did you devote to organizing, thinking, and planning for you? How much time? That's not necessarily a bad thing because we have to do that, but how much time is devoted to thinking, planning, and organizing for me? And I'm asking myself the same question as well, which leads to the next question, And that is, how intentional were we this past week in bringing God into all of that thinking and planning and organizing for me? How intentional was I in doing that? See, at some point, if we're really going to organize our life around God and His agenda, as we think and organize and plan for me, we have to be super intentional about bringing God into all of this stuff and to all of the picture. And for whatever reason, Nebuchadnezzar decides not to do that. And so it's almost like God, through Daniel, says, all right, Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom, this great kingdom of Babylon, I want to give you some updates about me and who I am and how I operate so that you can turn this ship around 
and you can once again reorganize your life around me. Because keep in mind, we all do this occasionally. We all step away or we push Jesus the outlaw to the side or we push him way in the back or we put him on a shelf somewhere and we tell him to stay there. So when that happens, how do we reorganize and how do we really implement God being at the center of everything? So here's a couple of God updates. Number one, God is all about giving chances. And again, this is great news for us. He's all about chances. So what happens here? After Nebuchadnezzar walks away and he gets all freaked out and he brings in Daniel, this passionate follower of Christ, here's what it says in verse 24. Here's Daniel and he's saying, this is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, meaning seven years, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone that He chooses. By the way, it's a great thought about how God is over all nations. It says it right there. But the stump... And the roots of the tree, and this is all part of the dream, were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. Or when you reorganize your life around God's agenda, you're going to get it back. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. And you can almost imagine Daniel, an advisor to the most important person in the world, coming in and saying, all right, Nebuchadnezzar, let's run some pros and cons here, all right? Because you have an option in front of you. And the option is you get to stay in your beautiful palace with your gaudy chairs and all of the decorations and the great food and people doing what you want and people serving you. You get to keep all of that or you can exchange it for eating grass like a cow, having really long, nasty fingernails and being dirty. Dirty. Like people are going to walk by and say, you know, that, that was our king, but man, he's, he's dirty. So those are the options in front of you, Nebuchadnezzar. You can have everything that you now have and enjoy and love and that you're proud of and excited about, or you can continue to turn your back on God and you'll become like an animal. All the king had to do is what is outlined here in verse 27. Stop sinning. Do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. It's a great lineup, isn't it? Like, how do I reorder my life around God? Well, stop sinning, do what is right, break from your wicked past, be merciful to the poor, and perhaps then you will continue to prosper. And this is Daniel saying to Nebuchadnezzar, look, God is all about giving chances to you. Like, you don't have to go that way. You don't have to choose that kind of life where people are going to look at you and say, Dirty. But you can avoid all of that if you stop sinning 
and you turn your back on all of that and you begin to help out the poor again, you can have all of this. And it's like Daniel is pleading with his friend and his king and he's saying, don't you get it? Don't you understand how loving and kind and patient God is and that he's giving you a lot of time here to turn away from what we have here. Nebuchadnezzar, consumed with self. And God is giving you chances to turn away from that. Or Nebuchadnezzar making the choice to walk without Christ, to move without God at the center of his life. And God is giving you yet another chance to turn away from that and walk with him once again and put his agenda in front of yours. Well, what happens here? Verse 28 says, But these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. And as he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And if you like to circle and underline things in your Bible, which I would encourage you to do, circle or underline the my's that are there. And this is what I have done by my power, my royal residence, my majestic splendor. Right? So he's kind of still walking away from God here. Verse 31. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagles' feathers. Go, eagles. It's a little out of context, but, you know, I said it last week, and they had a great win, so let's just say it one more time. And his nails were like bird's claws. See, Nebuchadnezzar was so into who he was and what he had built that he absolutely refused to reorder his life. He said, I'm just not going to do it. And things got very ugly for him. You know, maybe you're here and the very thing you need to hear today is that God gives chances. And would you just let that sink into your mind for a bit? I don't know where everybody's at in their spiritual journey. We're all in different places and maybe you've place Jesus on the side or in the back or on a shelf somewhere, guess what? God gives a lot of chances. And I want you to walk out of here knowing that today. He wants to give that to you. And if that's what you need to take away, that's an amazing thing. You need to run with that. You need to embrace that. You need to pray over that, cry over that, share it with somebody. God's going to give you a lot of chances to put him back in the front. He'll do that for you. All right, here's the second God update that he shares with Nebuchadnezzar. And that is God still longs for people to look up at him. 
See, often it becomes, how do I do that? How do I rearrange my life? And maybe that just seems really difficult, and there's a lot of layers there that have to be unpacked and peeled back, and there's a lot of junk there. Well, how do you do that? Well, look up at God once again. He still wants people to do that. Check out verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. And the idea of the word looked up there in the original language implies that he came to the end of himself. Like, I'm all done with this. Kind of done eating grass and having long, nasty fingernails and being dirty, and I desperately need God. So he looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned. And I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? And when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out And I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true. Oh, and guess what? He is able to humble the proud like me. He can do it. So based on this cry for help and all the praise that Nebuchadnezzar gives back to God it's clear that he exchanges all of his bad, he exchanges the ugly for the goodness of God and once again puts everything in its proper order with God leading the way. So what about us? Because this is kind of a bizarre story, like these things don't really happen anymore, which is probably good that God doesn't do this to us, but we still need to think about what this means. And listen, God has done something incredible for us, just absolutely incredible, in giving us this opportunity through nothing we could ever do on our own to exchange all of our bad and our depravity for all of his goodness. We don't deserve that in any way. But yet, this is what God offers to us through Jesus, the outlaw, the nonconformist. And when we trust in him alone... We have this wonderful opportunity, but it gets really hard and it becomes very challenging after that to constantly place Jesus the outlaw where he wants to be, where we're placing and putting everything at his feet. It becomes very difficult. We have to daily make this choice to say, all right, today, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to place Jesus and his agenda ahead of mine and I'm going to be super intentional about asking God to come into my thoughts and my organizing and my planning for me and for others. I'm going to bring him into all of it, and I'm going to intentionally do that. So the takeaways today are really three questions, just to get us thinking. Question number one, do I find myself organizing my life around Jesus the outlaw? Do I find myself doing that, or am I squeezing him into my plans? Okay, I got a little bit of time for you this weekend, Jesus, and I'll offer up this little token prayer to you because I can, or are we really 
organizing our lives around him? Or are we just hoping he kind of fits into what we're doing? Number two, am I living as a citizen of heaven or as a citizen of earth? When we trust in Jesus alone to save us, it's clear that we are now a citizen of heaven. And the expectation that God has is that we would act that way. And there's a difference. There's a difference. So am I acting as a citizen of heaven or a citizen of earth? And then question three, have my ambitions been placed at his feet? Or not? So for those of you who have recently trusted Christ, this is what I want for you today. I want for you to walk out of here and think of one thing that you can do today that would intentionally place Jesus and his agenda ahead of yours. Right, you're kind of new to this whole Christianity thing. You're new to walking with Jesus and pleasing him, and you're not even sure where to begin. I just want you to think about one thing that you can do today that would indicate, I'm placing Jesus ahead of me and myself, and maybe that one thing would be to read through Daniel chapter 4 and this magnificent story about a king who got really selfish, and made the choice to walk without Christ, and things got ugly for him, and allow that to filter into your life about how you don't want to do the same thing. So if you've recently trusted Christ, you're new at this, I'd encourage you, find Daniel chapter 4 in your Bible. Look it up online. It's there. Read through this story one more time, and just commit to saying, I'm going to intentionally place Jesus at the front. You know, for those of you who are spiritually mature, and you've built some spiritual muscle in your life. Like your buff, your tone. That's great. What are you doing with that spiritual muscle? Often when people become spiritually mature and they build spiritual muscle, they slap on a Speedo and they flex in front of the mirror and they stare at themselves. Isn't that what bodybuilders do? Right? I wouldn't know because I'm not in that category. But, you know, when you see bodybuilders, it seems like they get really, really big muscles and then they stand in front of a mirror and they stare at themselves. And it's not like those muscles are really doing anything. And spiritual, mature people often do the same. They build these magnificent muscles of things that they've learned about God and stuff that they've walked through in life. And then they throw on a Speedo and they stare at themselves and say, look at all of these magnificent spiritual muscles that I have. And I want to tell you, that's not a good thing. It's not good at all. As a matter of fact, it's a waste. And so if you, over the years, have built spiritual muscle, don't stare at yourself, okay? Because that's just not impressive, and God's not impressed with that either. Get out and do and serve and give away what has happened in your life to somebody else who needs it. Think about what God shared with Nebuchadnezzar in verse 27. Turn from your past. Help the poor. It's right here. For the students in the room, for those of you who are 6th through 12th grade and college as well, I want to challenge you to make this choice now. Intentionally place Jesus at the front of your life now, and this will become who you are. It'll just be how you operate. And if you're one that thinks you can do that at a later point in life, it's not going to happen. You won't make that choice. 
until some tragedy invades and then you'll turn to God and he'll be there because he gives us a lot of chances. But if you make that choice now when you're young, then it'll just be who you are and God will be very pleased with you. By the way, Daniel as an individual begins his whole career in shaping the known world as a 15-year-old. That's how young he was when he began to advise the king. So nobody's too young to make a difference for God. Make that choice now, because if you don't do it now, you're not going to do it later. Am I placing all of my stuff, am I placing all of my dreams and my ambitions at the feet of Jesus, the outlaw, or am I acting and behaving like Nebuchadnezzar, where I get consumed with self and that becomes a distraction, or I choose to walk without Christ and that becomes a problem? Where am I? As a way to help us all with this today, we're going to move into a communion time. Because one of the things I love about Daniel chapter 4 is it tells us that when we look up to heaven, when we come to the end of ourselves and when we realize that we desperately need God, he'll meet us in that place. And so we're going to take time just to think and reflect on Jesus the outlaw and the amazing sacrifice that he paid for us. And this is going to give us all the opportunity just to look up and think about what's happening in our life and who's controlling the agenda. So I'd like to invite you now just to pray with me and let's look up and let's think and let's direct our thoughts to him. Father, we're thankful for this time. And we're thankful for this bizarre story about a king, about an individual who had trusted in you and believed in you, but yet he got really selfish because life was good and he chose to walk without you. God, these things happen to us. And so I just pray as we move into this time of thinking about you and looking up to you, that you would help us to do whatever rearranging needs to happen so that when we all walk out of here in just a few moments, we would be so ready and prepared to do whatever it is that you're asking of us and whispering into our hearts. God, I pray for those that have recently trusted in you, that you'd help them to do one thing today before they go to sleep tonight, one thing that would show they're intentionally putting the agenda of Jesus, the outlaw, ahead of theirs. God, for those that are spiritually mature and they've been walking with you for a long time, God, I pray that help them stop staring at their muscles and use those muscles and the knowledge and the experiences that you've given to them to look out at a world that desperately needs Jesus. God, for the students that are here, pray that you'd help them at their young age to say, I'm going to place Jesus at the center now. And that's going to become a part of who I am today. Now, this stuff isn't for adults. It's not for older people. It's for young people who often have greater capacity because of their faith and trust in you to do more for the kingdom than what the rest of us can. So work in their hearts right now. And as we look up to you, And as we just remember you and your great sacrifice now, and we have this 
time of silence and reflection. God, help us to get ready to walk out of here with you running the agenda. And God, we'll thank you for everything that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.